but that brings up something like I don't know how y'all are feeling, but when I wake up, the world as I know it is not the same. Even with the fact of keeping your faith, knowing what God's will is, you still feel this, what I would call contending. So I'm going to begin with this chapter that I have waited. I just knew there would be a day that you can teach it. And it just does something for me. It's a good news chapter. I like it where they end well. There's not a whole lot of them, especially in this person's life. So anyway, this is one that from start to finish, I like the steps. I like seeing how to do it right. I'm going to let Steph read it to us in 1 Samuel 11. We're going to deal with the whole chapter. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the spirit of Elohim came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of Yahweh fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men to us and we will put them to death. But Saul said, No one shall be put to death today, for this day Yahweh has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of Yahweh. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before Yahweh, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Now this is probably the greatest moment in Saul's life. Yeah. yeah. It's his high point, and I wish he could have sustained it, which to me, this would be the chapter that I would definitely at judgment trying to bargain with God about. <laughs> Remember, I had one good <laughs> victory. You know, I had one thing I wasn't selfish on. I had one thing that the fire of God came upon us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in leadership, you want to be able to sustain something that you have where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. Mm -hmm. So the title of today's lesson is The Devil Tries to Make a Bargain with Us. Mm -hmm. And I want you to realize at all times, half of those thoughts going on in your head is the devil trying to make a bargain with you. Yeah. And he's seeing where you'll buy off. And so the enemy is a adversary in his negotiations with you. And he has one plan for your life, and that is our S-K-D. Mm -hmm. But the enemy tries to S-K-D us. Justin, do you know our S-K-D? 
SKD. John, 10? 10. 10. What? Still kill and destroy. SKD. And it's a constant bargaining to get into one of those aspects in your life. So I want you to know that those are not just your thoughts. They're not just negative thoughts. They're not just fear thoughts. It is a battle going on at all times in your life to bargain with you. Perhaps last night you had the devil bargaining with you. Perhaps this morning you wake up and there's a thought and he's working on you. He's bargaining with your head. He's bargaining with your life. He's bargaining with your purpose. He's bargaining to get something off of you. It's the same way he came into Eve and he bargained with her. He had nothing on the table. He had nothing to trade with. He had nothing to negotiate with, but yet the devil made a bargain with Eve. She already had the fact she was made the image of God. So for her to eat of the fruit to become like God makes no sense. When she was in the image of God, why would you eat a fruit that you were forbidden to eat to become like God when you already were like God? Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? And she fell for it because she'd already been made in God's image. And he goes, God don't want you to be like him. So, the devil's world's first fact checker. <laughs> and that's a picture in our climate that we have right now. So it's funny that the devil tries to talk you out of what you already have. Like you're made in the image of God, but the devil offers you to be like God. All you had to say is, I'm already made in his image. You already have the promises. And so the enemy tries to talk you out of it. He offered Eve nothing, but he made it look like something he was giving her. So you've got to remember that when the enemy plays like and uses an illusion to make you think that he's carrying all the chips or he has it all to offer. It's got to start sliding it away from him. So wrapped around your favorite sin is an enticement. Like the, the enemy takes it and he wraps it in something and he presents it to you in a, a certain way. But he bargains with you to bargain you out of your relationship with the Lord. Have you ever had the devil try to make what he's offering you look like something? And it, all it is is hot air and cotton candy. I mean, it just melts. Well, I'm going to say... I see the devil as that peddler in the wagon coming along. You just hear his peddler wagon. But he says, twisted, old, evil, sinister guy coming to make a deal with you. The devil is in the bargaining business. And that's how we set up 1 Samuel 11. Verse 2. Nahash the Ammonite said, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out one of your right eyes and bring disgrace on all of Israel. So the conditions were, I'll let you live. I'm going to offer you a bargain. And that is, just poke your eye out. Not both of them, just one. The tough terms were surrender, and now it's cut out of eye. Number one, it's humiliating. Number two, it makes you where you can't fight well again. Like you don't have perspective anymore with all that second eye. Mm -hmm. And also it makes it easy to figure out who lives in that village. <laughs> the right eye. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is getting into those horrible traps that life offers and they were in a trap these people verse three just give me seven days to pull something together and so i would say this bargaining is genius here where they go give me seven days i don't want you killing me on the spot do i look killable right at this moment let me go get all my best friends and see if they love me enough that we can at least have them fight for me and give me seven days to gather them up. And they go, fine, why should I be unfair on the day I'm going to kill you? Give me some days. I'm not ready to let this stand. 
To me, that's hilarious. Who on earth can tell your enemy, hey, I know you could kill me right now, but don't do it. Give me seven days to see if I can find someone else. Fight you. <laughs> Who says yes to that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you know you're one bargain away from winning sometimes? All you have to do is come up with, I need seven days. We came up with this thing when we were in Israel. We were talking about sometimes you can stop something evil. But Steph was discussing this. Sometimes you just delay evil and it works well. And that was like what they did when the Egyptian army was coming up and they were going to attack Tel Aviv. And it was the equivalent of putting a penny on the railroad track. And it derailed the trains. Sometimes you can't stop evil, but you can derail it. Sometimes you can delay it. Sometimes you blow up a railroad track and it takes less people making it to the concentration camp. I mean, if you can't stop it, trip it. And sometimes I feel like that our assignments that we're given are to trip up evil. Sometimes I can flat do a white lichens block. And I mean, they fill it in the stands. Sometimes I can stop it and walk away. (laughs) Sometimes I delay it. So I'm asking you, what do you have inside of you? What can you not let stand? I'm telling you, don't feel like you don't have bargaining power. There is one man that I'm going to say has taught us bargaining and negotiation. If you're not taking notes on this guy, you need to. I would go back and read his book called The Art of Negotiation because he's fabulous negotiating. He's negotiating with NATO. He's negotiating with all types of countries, and he uses leverage to negotiate with. So during the seven days, there's the problem that's the problem that's been the problem since time began. And the problem that's the problem that's always the problem is seven days that do a darn thing. Seven days doesn't buy you squat on the market of human help. (laughs) It doesn't buy you anything. Seven days, guess what happens? It's the nature of humans. No one intends to get involved. No one wants to get involved. At what time do you make up your mind, this is worthy of me getting involved? I mean, do we have to have Pearl Harbor bomb the heck out of us before we get involved? Is that what we're going to let happen? We're supposed to occupy till he comes. This is where, what point do you intend to get involved? You compromise when there's a spirit of witchcraft involved. You start lying to yourself and you start telling yourself it's not as bad as I think it's going to be. Worse. It's going to be worse. <laughs> this four years is not going to go down as bad as I th- if I do nothing. Yeah, you're lying to yourself yeah. to buy yourself a little time. You're either going to pay the price now or you're going to pay it under their terms. You've got to have this where you have the will to do what's necessary. But I'm going to tell you what was interesting about Saul is he had the power to assemble people. If you don't fight, I'm going to kill your ox. And he gave him a straight statement. And a lot of times that's enough for people to understand the importance. And you got to care enough to do something about it. That showed leadership here. That he had the power when no one was planning on doing anything to assemble the people. Those are the people that need to be in office. That really have the power to do something about the problem. And so this is where we are when nobody intends to get involved. What do you do? Like, I've got to get involved. And that's what God's made you to get involved in someone's life. To stop that on someone. Because you see people getting run over. It takes your stomach away. I hate seeing people get wiped out. I hate the feeling of regret. I hate thinking I could have done more. I hate those feelings. Y'all, there is such a good object lesson in this. What do you do when no one intends to get involved? 
What do you do? What options do you have? I think sometimes it's just a lack of options. Would somebody find me that quote from the Holocaust Museum that was up on the wall that says, when they came for Poland, I didn't get involved. When they came for, would you read that for us? Saul threatened everybody. It was brilliant. It's brilliant. It's the only thing that he did that was... It's genius. Do you want me to read it? Yes. Yeah, Eric's going to read it. First they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. What's his name? Martin Neimuller. No one wants to get involved. So I'm asking you, think wise thoughts, think bigger thoughts, pay attention to what's happening, learn from it, change your perspective. Remember when we said you're getting in an unstable world, how to negotiate, a lot of it's perspective shifts. And get a perspective shift on what's going on. It started in the garden. Y'all, it's not your nose to God, it's when you say nothing. It lets it stand. Adam said nothing. And you're letting things stand by saying nothing. Amen. You know, sometimes I think some of our Bible studies are so important to us. Like, I don't know what I would do without that concept of not letting something stand. Mm -hmm. And when God put authority on us, we have the power to hear something that doesn't sound right and say, that will not stand. What is it in your life that you're going to say, that won't stand? I can't live with that. I cannot live with that. That will not stand. You've got to bargain back. And it has never stopped, and it just passed on down to the family. I'm going to say where you lose your bargaining with the devil tries to pass down your generational line. Amen. There's things in your life that we have to come to the opinion, we can't do this. We are at a crisis in time. We cannot let them stand. I want to go back to something I said earlier. and I found a little section of scripture that I had never read before. The stuff I've never read this before. I thought... Where is this wonderful piece? I had never read that every single person had already had this done. That's why they were doubly afraid. This was not just a some idea, we're going to cut out your eye. This was not just something that could have happened. How did I miss this? Do tell me where your Bible got this. It says that this paragraph is not included in the Masoretic text, but it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you've ever studied how precise those Dead Sea Scrolls are, it's impressive that this footnote was in there. In fact, I can give you the Dead Sea Scroll 4QSAM. Sam. It's in 1 Samuel 10, and we'll start with verse 26. And it dovetails into this. Okay. So 1 Samuel 10, 26. When Saul returned to his home, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. A group of men who God had touched their hearts. There's nothing like having that group around you. But there were scoundrels, in verse 27, who complained. How can this man save us? And they scorned him. And they refused to bring in gifts. But Saul ignored them. So the scoundrels were the ones who didn't appreciate the leadership they'd been given. And so Nahash, king of the Amorites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben, who lived east of the Jordan River. Or Reuben, if you have a little Hebrew. The world, or evil, will oppress the righteous people of God. That's just what happens. And so his way of doing it was he gouged out the right eye of each Israelite living there. And he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue him. So I don't know if you've had that happen to you where you got oppressed and then everybody cuts off anyone that can give you any help. And that's what happened is they cut off everyone who tried to come rescue them. In fact, there wasn't a single person, a single Israelite, whose right eye Nahash had not gouged out. 
So they had a whole colony, a whole city of one-eyed people. Just everybody was one-eyed. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped the Ammonites, and they had settled at Jabesh Gilead. And then starts our Sunday school lesson. So I thought you would enjoy that piece of information of something in history that you needed to know. This was not a hypothetical ideal that we're going to take out your eye. It had been done. This was reality. They knew the people across the river who this had happened to. That's why they were doubly afraid. This was not just a one-time idea, we're going to cut out your eye. This was not just something that could have happened. And the devil will always try to drive you a bargain. In your head, he's constantly saying something that could happen. Well, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do this to you. He's always trying to get you to receive something bad he's going to do to your life. So the one-eyed people. <laughs> I think we're getting a lot of those type people around us. This is the group that bothers me the most, or the one-eyed ones. Like, this is where you have the compromise that comes in. Because they don't have the same perspective on things. <laughs> this moves us to verse 4 and 5. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind the oxen. He said, what's wrong with everybody? Why is everybody weeping? The people start weeping. They were and scared. They were scared. Yeah. And Saul goes, I can't stand to see these grown men cry. Scared. And they're sitting there saying, i got to cry out of two eyes while i still got two because I'll be crying out of one. <laughs> We've been talking about the power of crying out. The power of crying out when it comes to bargaining. They had seven days and nobody got involved. They started crying out. Remember, the loudest baby is the one that gets picked up. The loudest baby gets fed. And I've got to ask you, how are you doing on the power of crying out? Your voice needs to be made known on high. It's got to mean enough to you to cry. It's got to mean enough to you to get emotional. Sometimes it hurts so bad you can't seem to get tears out. So in this situation, I kind of felt bad for this village of people because they couldn't rescue themselves. Have you ever been in a place where you can't rescue yourself? You think God doesn't have time for your prayers during this time because it's so rough? He has the hairs of your head number and he counts every bird that falls. Someone else has to rescue you. That's a very vulnerable feeling. Verse 6, this is where I want you to mark in your Bible. Star this, underlined it. When Saul heard their words, the devil came on him and he got angry, right? Is that what it says? This is the Spirit of God came on him. It says not only did the Spirit of God come on him, look at this in verse 6, it came on him powerfully and he burned with anger. Did you know that sometimes that the Spirit of God on you is what's making you angry? There's something in you that if you'll ask yourself, what really makes me angry? And if you have the right spirit in you, the spirit of the Lord, these type things are meant to make you angry. It's the spirit of the Lord. It's oppressing your righteousness inside of you. You have some things in life like where Jesus looked at that lady that was bent over double for 18 years and he goes, this ought not be. Y'all, you've got to have that in you where you wake up from numbness and you tell yourself, this ought not be. That's the Spirit of God on you. And a man without anger is a noodle. You don't want somebody without a spine. You want someone that raises up and says no. I remember Dr. Dobson. He said, what would be a man who looked across the street and saw someone raping a woman and he did nothing? He said, there's something wrong. There's got to be something anger in you that says, this ought not be. And that's what happened to Saul. He got 
angry because powerfully the Lord came on you. Not many people will tell you this, but I'm going to tell you, I want you to just look at your anger and know it might be God on you. Not all anger is bad. You will not hear from me to tell you, get rid of your anger. Most pastors will tell you, get rid of your anger. All anger is wrong. I don't want conflict. Just please keep it out of the church. And really, sometimes conflict is the best thing that can happen. Most Christians don't fight. Most people don't get involved. But there's some things you've got to get mad enough to do something about. The pivotal point of leadership in this story is verse 6, that Saul found his passion. He found his fight. The story, it actually pivots here. They cried, he fought. They cried, he got his fight on. So mm -hmm. that fight makes you angrier than anything. Yeah. So get your fight on. Yeah, at least move out of the way. <laughs> at least move out of the way. <laughs> and if he could have done that the rest of his life, it would have been a totally different story. Mm -hmm. And then Saul puts action, and Pat picked up on it. He takes a bunch of people that don't plan on getting involved. And he takes something very valuable. It would be like Pat taking his orange-red choir and chopping it to bits and milling it to everyone say, hmm? I mean, he takes it and cuts up the ox. And he tells them, if you don't come fight, I'm going to come kill your ox. If you don't fight, I'm going to smash your car. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to come take away your tractors. <laughs> I'm going to take away your ability to raise food. I'm going to ruin everything you have that sustains your personal life. And your personal life will go haywire, so you'll help the national life. Men understand that. It's just there's sweet nothings in a man's ear. He whispered a little sweet nothing in their ear of saying that I'm going to take away all your pooping tractors. <laughs> this isn't my fight, but we're going to get involved. That he had a way to get people involved. He tells them, I'm going to come kill your ox. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call leverage evil. Don't think that a man who doesn't play nice is of the enemy. Let me tell you, you've got to fight evil in a way that wins. And Christians have sometimes gotten the wrong ideas, but this is not anti-God here. I mean, they must not be reading their Bible not to understand that sometimes you gotta make the terms understandable. So there's times where you have to rise up and you gotta make it clear that you look for leverage. Who does that? It's making you have courage right there. Well, you know, I have a problem with a lot of people. We either fight it now or we fight it later or it takes over us. Yes. That things have to be set right. And that's what I've liked about Trump. As Republicans, we were going towards that ideal of bullets constantly. And he backed up the negotiation to leverage with money. Mm -hmm. And I know we talk big in Texas, but I'm not saying we cry out to the Lord big. And this ain't gonna be won by big talking <clears throat> Facebook. It's not. No. It's gonna be won by hearts being right with the Lord. So I'm going to say something that I want you to write down in your notes. Top it in your phone, do something. If you're being leveraged and you don't like it, it's because you're failing to bring something to the table. So if people are using leverage on you, they're dealing with something I'd call the sin of omission. They're dealing with reluctance. They're dealing with something in you, and they're trying to bring it out in you. So if you don't like the leverage, give it with your heart. Give it because you love the Lord. Say that again. If you feel yourself being leveraged by your best friend, if you feel yourself being leveraged by your parents, if you feel yourself being leveraged by me, and you don't like it, 
No, it's a reason. It's not me, it's you. <laughs> it's the sin of omission. You're not bringing something to the table. You're not, you're not giving it something like, but there comes a point that I'm telling you, if you don't like to be leveraged, look and ask yourself, what is it that I'm not doing? What is it I'm not thinking about? What is it I don't see? Just being ignorant doesn't give you a free pass. My people are what? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Like ignorance, just having ignorance doesn't give us a pass. So I'm saying on judgment day, somebody's doing you a favor to speak these things to you. Learn from them. Learn. Like when you're here, be smarter here. There was no reason Saul didn't grow with every chapter. There's no reason that by the time you get out of here that you're not just exponentially growing. So when Saul needed to assemble his people, they were leveraged. But the people that were fixing to be killed in verse 10, they got tricky. And am I into that concept? I'm telling you, they made it look like we're going to surrender and come out. And that reminds me back to my girl at the radio station. I was leveraging this girl in order to bless her. It's a motive It's a motive to set you up for a blessing. But you can put your faith with something and make it really successful. So when you're leveraged, realize that if the person who's leveraging you is doing it to bless you, like Saul was inviting them, be a part of this. The leverage is to bless you. If you don't get that you're being blessed, you're very young in your relationship with God. You're not seeing that these things are all for good. Leverage is to bless you. God leverages you. Believe me, he leverages you. So, it's a motive. It's a motive to set you up for a blessing. But just like you're trying to figure out God's motives, God's really looking at our motives. And that he's looking at why you're pulling yourself off. And it's really going against the cross lines way where I would tell you, pick the relationship that's the hardest for you. Pick the one that'll tell you the the most truth. You know, one of y'all the other day, I got tickled at you. You picked the person for the counselor that was the absolute worst person. I wanted to tell you, you are not safe with that person because they will tell you the truth. (laughs) They will leverage you. They will break you mentally. (laughs) And I was actually pleased with your choice because I thought, "Mm, that's not a safe choice that you made. And so this is where I'm saying, pick your twos. Pick your reasons in life. Pay attention to what's happening to you. When you feel that, oh, I don't like them. Ask yourself, why do I not like them and what's happening to me? I grew up being leveraged all the time. Mm. I mean, you'd be raised by the man I was raised by. I mean, he leveraged me. Every day was leverage. And you learn to respond to it in a good way. You grow or you die. So, (laughs) anyway, it's very unique here that Saul had the power to assemble the crowds. He assembled the people. And I would say leadership, very good. Like he went from the kid keeping the baggage to actually being able to assemble. At this point, getting people involved is the most (laughs) unique aspect of how Saul did it, that he had a way to get people involved. And he had a way to get them involved in what we were talking about, and that's something that wasn't their fight. And sometimes we think, well, it's not our fight. We didn't do this. You know, we did our fight. But sometimes you gotta reach over and help someone else with their fight. So they marked it on the calendar and seven days went by. They indicate, we're going to surrender. In verse 10, they were like, okay, just come out and get us. (laughs) We're sitting ducks. (laughs) We'll just wait for the bullet. 
If you go through Mount Vernon, you see that Washington was not only a farmer, but he was a president. Not only was he a president, he was a soldier. And not only was he a soldier, he was a spy. In verse 10, the men of the city do a tricky little plan. Sometimes the best indication is to look like you're weak as you're gathering the forces. They actually used the bargain of the seven days to be very sly. By acting like in seven days, not a person that showed up to help them. I mean, they put on the airs that literally, we're going to come out to battle array and you're just going to be able to have your way with us because we don't have any help because you know how people are. Remember how we said it that basically that no one intends to get involved. Oh, yeah. It's very hard to get anyone involved. You know, like we're making it easy for people. Like it's chewing the food for you. As my great-great-grandmother had held my grandmother in her arms, little Armalee, can you imagine? This little Armalee was in my great-great-grandmother's arms, and she would chew her food, and then she would put it in the baby's mouth because they didn't have blenders back then. We're doing a lot of chewing for you. It is part of the rite of passage. And so they come out there to meet the citizens that they're going to overcome, only to meet 300,000 Israelis and 30,000 Judeans. <laughs> I think verse 11 is very unique when it tells about the slaughter. They use a statement here I don't see elsewhere in the Bible. Saul slaughtered them to a certain level. Do you know what level he slaughtered them to? I want to reflect back in verse 11. He slaughtered them to a certain point. And I think it's very important to study this. To the heat of the day, there won't be any left. He slaughtered them till no two were left together. No agreement you got to break their agreements. That's what the Lord had shown me was he slaughtered them to the point that no two are left together. They made quick work of this. And boy, did those people get a whooping. They got a whooping that they didn't even allow your best friend to die next to you. I mean, they whipped you so hard that they just killed you from one end to the other. And what a unique statement. We killed them so completely and so well, we didn't even leave two together. That's a very odd battle statement assessment. I'm always shocked at some of the things the Bible brings to the table. So we've discussed the difference between alliances and agreements. I'm looking motive, motive, motive. Why are these two people together? Are you together because you both have the same offense, rejection? Why are you together? Mad about the same things? What's the reason you pulled off from the herd? The two of agreements. You've got to know that your agreements are right. And I look at who you make two with. And I want to know what's at the bottom of it. And if it's not right, you've got to bust it up. Don't leave any two in agreement. And then in verse 12, you see a, a heart and soul that you want. And he doesn't want to wreck the beauty of the day. He doesn't want to wreck the day by taking personal revenge. Everybody goes, this is your moment to claim fame. Let's do away with the people that were against you. He said, uh, -uh it's not made for this. And he does something interesting in 13. And he said, the Lord did this deliverance. He acknowledged the Lord. Don't you wish you could shut the book on Saul right here? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we lay down a good chapter with God, but we can't have a chapter in where we go on. And unfortunately, you may have a good chapter in your life, but you need to be from start to finish. That's what Ezekiel says, that your righteousness here doesn't count if you don't continue with the Lord. And Saul had the right plan here. This is the right manuscript. It's in 1 Samuel 11. It is your plan of stopping evil. And that has blessed my life, that they didn't let things stand. That's what I felt like we were supposed to recognize here is that your life isn't just here at this moment. Oh, woe is me. And, uh, yeah, this is what I didn't want to have happen. 
when I was thinking about this story today, I felt like that this was what fits our moment, that we have inconceivably terrible options on the table. The devil is besieging us, and this is when some things just don't go down right. He gives us terms, and these are his terms. And you see people that symbolically or figuratively, they're missing an eye because they made a bargain with the devil, and they gave away something that they didn't have to give away. These are real true regrets. This is why I've liked this story so much, because there's times I tell myself, I just got offered peace terms with the condition I lose an eye over it. And some people think this is a good deal. Amen.